This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's give it a whirl. Okay, you guys, here we go. This is the Kern River Fly Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Guy Jeans, podcasting directly from the Kern River Fly Shop in Kernville, California. On this podcast, we discuss everything outdoors. We talk about conservation, music, and life. This episode is brought to you by Sims Fishing Products, Fish It Well, Reddington Fly Rods, Find Your Water, Rio Lines Leaders and Tippets, Make the Connection, and Costa Sunglasses, whose frames are made from recycled nets to help protect our oceans. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do this! Right on. This is Guy, you guys, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Um, Before we get started, I want to say thank you to everybody out there who dropped off so many uh, six-packs of beer in the first podcast um, that we did. Actually, the third podcast that we did. Um... We talked about a guy coming into the fly shop and bringing uh, a six-pack of beer, and I talked about that. And then um, this whole last uh, two weeks, we've had uh, – actually, our both refrigerators are stocked <laughs> to the till and um, in the fly shop and in um, uh, the podcast studio. So thank you very much to everyone who brought us beers, and you don't have to stop either if you don't want to. But tonight, you guys, I'm really stoked. Um, I have uh, some uh, some legends in the whitewater rafting world, and I'm super stoked to have them here. Um, I have uh, uh, Chris Brown, um, which they call Brownie from Whitewater Voyages. Say hi, Chris. How's it going, guy? And uh, we also have uh, Chuck Richards. Hi, folks. <laughs> and we also have uh, Luther Stevens from uh, uh, Whitewater Voyages as well. Greetings, everybody, in uh, podcast land. Yes, and I'm, you know, I've, I've been wanting to do this uh, podcast for a long time, um, just because I personally have so many questions about different things in the whitewater world, and um, I just happen to have uh, some of the uh, the uh, best guides I know. I've seen Chris in action. I've, I've seen Chuck in action. I've seen Luther in action, um, and I want to ask a bunch of questions. Um, but uh, the first thing that I want to do is I want to talk about a story that um, how I how I met Chuck. And um, I don't know if Chuck will remember this. Hopefully he does. But um, I don't, Chuck, do you remember that you realize that this is I'm almost going on 20 years now since I, I met I figured maybe something like 20, 24, 25. But, well, yeah. 
it's it's in that realm but you know i'm not really you might uh help my memory but i think i met you at falling waters uh resort your resort there is that right i i i think that's correct yeah yeah and um I don't know what I was doing, but I was, I think I went there and I was talking to somebody and you were there. And I think I mentioned that I was thinking about uh, opening up a fly fishing store and outfitting business. And then you asked me, this is the the funny part is you asked me to go uh, on a canoe trip with you down the Kern. Do you remember this? Usually I reserve that for blondes, but... Well, you know, what was funny was, um, so I had never um, uh, gone on a canoe, and um, I think we put in at uh, KR3, and we, we, we uh, drifted all the way down to your house and then and beyond. And <clears throat> I think I pulled it off all the way, even through uh, uh, Big, Big Daddy Rapid and all the way through Ewing's Rapid, and I... I don't know how I pulled it off, but I didn't tip over. But I finally tipped over uh, on a rapid. I don't know the name of just below your house. And to your to your uh, laughter, and um, I was completely uh, under the water and upside down and what. And I came up, and you were just hysterically laughing and having a good time. I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Then I, I got back in my boat into the canoe and I tipped over again and you started laughing again. But that was my first experience with you, Chuck, was, was that. And it was, um, I, don't know, I don't know why we, we did that, but you know, for some reason you invited me. It was real, uh, real nice of you to do. And then a couple other times, you, um, I got a flat tire. You probably don't remember this, but I, I didn't know anybody else in the Valley except for Chuck. I called up Chuck and Chuck came up and helped me with my flat tire, man. You guys, you guys didn't know he had a heart like that, did you? So, um, yeah, um, that was kind of, um, and then, and then we, we were kind of toying around with the idea of me putting the fly shop across the street where Whitewater Voyages was for a little bit. And then, I got my permit and then I kind of was still guiding. I was sleeping in the back of my truck for a while and um, I was guiding and then going back to Ventura. And then next thing you know, I got this where the podcast studio is now with, um, with the, uh, the fly shop. So that was my first introduction to you, Chuck, and which was awesome. And I really appreciated your hospitality when I was first getting started and whatnot. I reckon I saw your potential. That must have been what it was. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, and then um, meeting uh, you, Luther, I'm not sure where that happened at, maybe at a party or something. Do you remember where we met? Do you have any idea? You know, Guy, I, 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 I couldn't tell you for sure. It feels yeah. like I've known you forever. Yeah. Um, and it feels like I've known Chris and Chuck forever as well. Yeah. But, um, not, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, you know, I think maybe you were jamming the piano somewhere at a party. I was going to say, was... music, whitewater, fishing was definitely probably one of the... Three yeah. things that were involved in that. Yeah, and so those of you that don't know, Luther's a an amazing piano player, and he and you also fly fish as well. I do, Ooh, but yeah. I'm a bit of an amateur. But I'm hoping you can help me out with that later. Of course, of course. And then, uh, do you know how we met, Chris? I'm not. I yeah. I don't remember exactly how we met, but uh-huh. I certainly remember how we got to know each other. Yeah, 
Yes, <laughs> we're going to talk about that for sure. That was on a Forks trip. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay. So one of my questions um, for you, Chuck, is, um, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, were you one of the first uh, whitewater outfitters here on the Kern back in the day, in the 70s it was, I guess? R rafting started under forest permit back in 75. That was the... That was the year I came over. The, 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 at that time, rafting in California was further up north. The American River, the Stanislaus, the Tuolumne. It had moved down to Fresno, where the Kings is, but, but there wasn't anything happening way down here. So, so part of that was because of the un, unnecessary scary of the Kern. Like, as, as you come up from Bakersfield, there's what we call the big death tally sign of this many yeah. people have died since 1968. The, the sign doesn't mention that a good portion of those are in the flat water in Bakersfield and even out west of Bakersfield mm -hmm. where, where there's aqueducts going to farms. But the, the, current, the current was sort of far dropped down north to south in California and it was close for me. I was based over in Santa Maria uh, teaching college over there and I used to bring my, my students up here to hike and to ski in the wintertime and to uh, whitewater raft too, and and that's that's how it got started. Uh, mm -hmm. Rick Roberts had Kern River tours. Rick worked over China Lake. Uh, he was a doctor of physics, and uh, he and I started I think the same year, seventy uh, five up here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, when you came over here um, back in the day, was it nineteen seventy four, seventy five? How did you, what happened? Did you just say, oh man, I could take people down the river or were you kind of doing these first descents down certain areas and how did that all go down? The, the freeway came in. Now, when I speak of freeway, it's from going west from Lake Isabella, goes down about 18, 19 miles. And then it, then it turns into the old canyon road, the windy snake, yeah. very narrow, that drops the rest of the way out of the canyon as you go to Bakersfield. But, but prior to 74, and we would, I would be coming through here, the, again, the freeway was under construction but not being used. And from the old road, the only, the only views you could really get of the river were what is still um, right beside the road in the lower half of the canyon, just cataracts and waterfalls. And, and for, for virtually any sane person outside of expert kayakers, it's unrunnable. But uh, until the freeway was in, we couldn't, we, you, you couldn't get the views of the 20 miles from the town of Lake Isabella going down. And the presumption was that it was all the same. The, the road had moved, although the road was still windy, uh, the old road, Canyon Road, it was removed away from the edge of, of the river where, where you couldn't see it as you could down below. So the presumption was that people die in that river. You can't go there. You don't want it. The freeway came in in 74, and we were coming back from, I think, climbing the face of Whitney, I believe. We've been over in the, in the minarets in the Sierra, some of my, some of my class and I. And uh, I was leaning out the truck window saying, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the stuff down below. This, this looks like more manageable. I've got to get a boat and get over here. Which is what we, it took us till the next year, I think. That was the end of the season, I believe, in September of 74. And uh, we started rafting up here the following summer. On the, on the lower? On the lower, yeah. Yeah. And so some of those rapids, 
had never, you, no one had really ever gone down them before, right? I Was don't that, know. Yeah. I mean, as far as you know, you no one had, and you just went down. Yeah, and 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 Rick's Rick Roberts, his uh, Rick Rick had a lot of, a lot of boys in his family, and uh, again, if we hit that just about the same time mm-hmm. uh, by coincidence. Rick himself wasn't on the water very much, but but his boys were like he had one a year. Um, 19 years old, 18 years old, 17, 16, uh, ready to go guides. So we, we started up here in 75 running trips. Wow. And so, um, and would you guys put in right there at Keysville and go down or would you guys try to go down where that, what is it called? You guys call that the, um, bodfish ramp. What is that thing called? Granite. Granite, granite, yeah. No, that that didn't exist. Let's didn't. see. The, the the first couple of times when we were just let's see if we can get down this river, we uh-huh. were put in right right under the dam at Main Dam Campground. Oh wow! But the Corps of Engineers kept chasing us out of there. This is too dangerous. You can't do this. And we would drop down along the um, you know go down about maybe a half a mile and drag the boats down the sand uh, and go down on the Keysville Road. Okay. And um, several hours paddling would get us down to Miracle. We normally wouldn't do the whole 20 miles in one day, although depending on the flow and the speed, one could. Mm-hmm. But we would run the first day down down to Miracle, Hobo Campground, and pull out. And then, and then the, the next day, we would put in there and go all the way down to Democrat. Interesting stuff. <clears throat> really cool stuff. So, Chris, so... You kind of just, um, you're Chuck's nephew, so how did that, how did that all go down as you becoming a, a river guide and that sort of thing? I mean, how did that? How well, did that... nepotism can cut both ways. <laughs> but I did my first trip on the Kern when I was, I think, five years old, hmm. sitting in the back of the old boy's boat with my grandma and my mom up front. <laughs> and it, uh, you know, pretty much every year I would come out at least for a little while, maybe a week or so, and spend time with the old boy on the river and mm-hmm. get to play river guide or pack food or mm-hmm. wash wetsuits or whatever else uh, mm-hmm. he could figure out for me to do for the week. Because generally he didn't like kids, but kids who liked white water, okay, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? So where, where did you grow up? So I grew up in New Hampshire. Okay. So when did you finally make the, the travels out here to the to the Kern and start living full-time? So like I said, pretty much every year from five till I graduated high school, with maybe an exception of one or two, I was out here for a little while. Uh, but two days after I graduated high school, I was on the Kern and ready to guide. Wow, very cool. All right, Luther, how, how, did, you, how did it go down for you, man? Where'd you come from and how did you end up uh, working here and that sort of thing? Well, I grew up in Newport Beach, California, mm-hmm. and um, I had a good friend of mine who actually started working for Chuck probably back in '82, and he was doing this amazing, um, this amazing job being a river guide. And he had actually studied at Prescott College in Arizona, and he had roomed with a guy named uh, Mike Lane. And uh, Mike uh, uh, <clears throat> told my friend, who's also his name was Mike that you should come out and, and do this really cool thing that, that, uh, that I'm doing. Mike Lane apparently um, uh, grew up close to where Chuck, um, well, when he moved out here, grew up, uh, uh, not grew up, but where he lived uh, in uh, Santa Maria. Anyway, went from Mike to Mike to me saying, this is going to be the greatest job ever. It's outdoors. You're going to love it. I was into surfing at the time. 
and it sounded super cool. And uh, you know, he said, if you come out and uh, and, and guide, you're going to eat great food. You're going to be outdoors. You're going to meet wonderful people. And so I went and did guide school in 1986. And uh, I was blown out with the uh, amazing character of the folks that uh, were teaching the guide school, mm-hmm. uh, the people that wanted to become river guides, and the whole industry as a whole. And uh, it kind of just went on from there. It, uh, obviously, I've been here for some time. I had no idea when we were driving <clears throat> by uh, the camp on Lower Kern once, uh, Mike uh, pointed down there and he said, you know, Luther, you're going to spend a lot of time down there. In that camp? Yeah. And uh-huh. I said, yeah, yeah, I hope so. You know, if I'm good enough. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure how many years it's been. 30, 35, 36. Well, it's been since 86. I've stopped counting after about 30. Uh-huh. Not too many more years after 30. But but it's been a while. And I'll tell you something, Guy. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, it's the most amazing thing ever to be outside doing something with your body that's not, you know, you're not on track. The, sea, the sun's in your face. The water's on your body. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Um, what a great lifestyle. It's it truly was amazing, uh, truly intoxicating, and something uh, that I fell in love with and I'm still deeply in love with. Mm-hmm. Of course, things have changed over the years. Yeah. You know, I started working for Chuck, and then I worked for a couple other companies, <clears throat> and you kind of have to move on. If you want to stay in the industry, you can't be a guide for your entire life. And then eventually Chris and I were able to purchase Whitewater Voyages, which yeah. I think is a fantastic company and one that we've tried to... Uh, uh, continue that uh, vein with and improve. Mm-hmm. Not that there was much room for improvement, but uh, it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, it really is. It's funny. Like I, uh, people are asking me, guy, are you still guiding and you know this or that? And I've kind of, you know, kind of. I, I tell people, I'm kind of doing what Luther's doing a little bit. You know, like you know, getting in the office and that sort of thing. You know, don't but, do too much of that. <laughs> but I do guide, of course. You know, but um, I, I'm not doing as much. But it's kind of like one of those, you know, you're athletes, you know, after a while you start to, you know, mellow out a little bit, I guess. But, um, okay, so let's talk about, we're going to, we got a couple things to talk about as far as the forks. We're going to want to talk about our trip that we did on the forks. But who was the first uh, company to go down the forks of the Kern back in the day? (laughs) And how did that go down? And of course, you know, that's some scary water if you don't know it. Um, I I personally have gone down with Brownie on a trip and seen him in action and how amazing he is on the Forks of the Kern. But I, what I'd like to know is how how did that all go down as far as the first company to go down the Forks of the Kern or just private group or anything? Chuck, do you do you know that? I, my first trip down the Forks was in '77, which was a similar to this year, a very low water year. Mm-hmm. We had started rafting on the Lower Kern in '75. And well, where's this thing come from? How far up does it go? And and I would bring over again students out of my my college class, my mountaineering classes, which I was recruiting for guides. And we found that we could take the trail down. You you park at the end of a dirt road, and then you've got about two miles winding on foot down into the canyon to reach the river. Uh, before we before we committed to that, we tried to come down. And the canyon's very 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 steep and tall. We had tried to bushwhack here and there just to see once we get into here, what are we getting into? Uh, but our first trip down was in seven in in May of seventy seven. Uh, kayakers are predominantly up there now, but back then, you you, you kayak you didn't have plastic Tupperware kayaks. They were normally out of fiberglass. Yeah. 
Tom Johnson was making them here in his in his garage, he and his wife, but you wouldn't commit a fiberglass kayak to the forks. It would just shatter in the first first half mile. But anyway, we, we did that in 77 uh, before the lower current water came on for the season. It was too low. And then the next year was 78, was uh, other end of the pendulum, a very high water year, and we couldn't get on the forks until I think it was August of that year. And we normally did it just, just for our own amusement. Uh, not being a visionary, it did not dawn on me that people would actually pay to walk down two miles of dirt trail carrying their overnight gear for two nights on the river on their back. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, so you guys went down that. Did you guys have any problems going down the first time? And I kept my eyes closed most of the time. It was <laughs> I bet, man. Oh, my gosh. So um, I'm going to... We, we can talk about that story that so those of you that don't know the forks of the kern uh, it's where the little kern and the big kern come together and it, it's the johnsondale bridge if you go up roughly about 20 miles is it not quite 20 but 18 ish yeah. or something like that yeah. okay so somewhere in there um, from the johnsondale bridge you go up and that's where the little kern and the big kern come together and um, the whitewater companies will uh, have mules packed down there um, gear, the, the rafts and everything, and then they blow them up and then they put the boats in and then they will raft down and it's a spectacular trip. Well, one uh, year, maybe 10 years ago or whatever, maybe something like Maybe 2009, 2010. Something yeah, like something like that. Um, uh, I got hired on as the uh, fly fishing consultant, <laughs> you could say, to go down the forks of the Kern with a group of uh, folks um, that where they were, they were mostly kids, I think, weren't they? They were like, yes, yeah, they were kids. They were, how old do you think they were? Like 13, 14? They were freshmen in high school, okay. 13 and 14. Okay, so, but these kids weren't your average kids. These kids were uh, business entrepreneurs. They were, um, like, for instance, one of the kids um, had a business or a couple of businesses. It was crazy. We were talking around the campfire, and so they were, they were class five kids. <laughs> yes, they were they were way above average kids. So anyway, so I got hired onto this trip. Um, uh, Brownie was on the trip. Uh, Tom Peltier, uh, Mike Spradlin. Who else was? And James Boster. James Boster. And and we're talking about you know some some guides that are our premier guides um, for the Forks of the Kern, without a doubt. And I hadn't really, maybe I didn't really know you guys all that well. I mean, yeah. we knew of each other, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. but uh, <laughs> we knew each other a lot better at the end. Yes. So um, so the idea was that it was a low water. I think it was in October or something that we went down, and the water was real low, and we were taking IKs mm -hmm. down, single IKs and double IKs, I guess. Yes. And um, so there was 15 of us or more? There was... 14 or 15 guests, okay. there was the four guides, and you okay. as the fly fishing guide. Yeah, so we strapped the fly rods all in the boats and the, in the kitchen and all this stuff, and um, so we're down there at the Forks of the Kern, right where um, there's a little island there where um, everybody gets together and gets all the boats together and everything, and um, I think Tom was the trip leader, maybe? Tom was the trip leader. Okay, Tom was the trip leader, and he says, um, Guy, you're, you're going to go with this lady. Um, down on a double, you know, you're going to double up with her. 
And I think everybody else had single IKs, but for some reason I was with this lady who had never paddled before. It was strategery. <laughs> so it was very interesting. So it was, it was, um, it was pretty interesting. So like we'd be going down the river and we'd be coming on a rapid and um, I could hear the rapid, you know, real big sound and everything. And I would tell the lady, you know, stop paddling because I'd be in the back and she'd keep paddling. So I think we took every rapid sideways and we swam pretty much every rapid. And um, it well, was... Well, you, you had gotten pretty good at that with our canoe trip a couple, <laughs> yes, what, 10 right. years prior. Yeah. <laughs> so I was used to that. But um, anyway, so um, I don't know if the guides kind of did that as an initiation or, or what it was, but um, I sure got initiated that, that trip for sure. And I think a couple of the people had N1, S1 virus or something. What was that? N1 something virus or something? Yes, that was during the swine flu Swine epidemic. flu, yes. So couple. a six-day trip down the forks yeah. made it seven miles in five days <laughs> with a swine flu, flu epidemic. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Well, it sounds like a nightmare, but was there good fishing somehow? Well, I don't think we fished that much. <laughs> no, no, it was more survival than it, fishing. It was it was survival. <laughs> it was it was absolute survival, and there was a lot of whistles. There was a lot of whistles. There was a lot of whistles. A lot of whistles. Yes. And, and Tom uh, whistling, and yeah, life. I think pretty much life saving type situations were going on, right? Well, you yeah. know, yeah, there's well, fine lines all over. Okay, right, right. <laughs> anyway, so. My respect for Browning went way up um, because uh, we all pulled over and we're having a tortilla, peanut butter and jelly type sandwich type thing. Um, and none of the kids wanted to go through this one rapid. And so Brownie uh, would take one boat at a time and go through the rapids and then run back up and get in the, I mean, it must have been a blast for you. And then go back down, a pretty gnarly rapid, I guess it was, you know. And he would take all these boats all the way down and run back up and take them all the way down until we got to the bottom. And uh, I was like, wow, this this is uh, pretty high-class uh, guides that we got on this trip for sure. I mean, um, I got to see, uh, what was the guy that was carrying the kitchen? The James. James. James go down the forks with full kitchen in a IK? Yeah. Yeah, go down. And it was, that was pretty amazing to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I had that kitchen the last day when after oh, the kids you? were gone and we were oh. boating out, uh-huh. and I had to turn sideways at every rapid so I could just see over it. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty pretty uh, crazy. I think I, I made it uh, about halfway. I only could go for like three or four days or something you, like that. You went so. out at Durwood, too, yeah. with uh, the rest of the trip, except yeah. for, I guess, Tom Peltier, Spradlin, and I, who remained behind for yeah. day seven of six. So They, had, they hiked out at Durwood. Yeah. Okay. That's, so that's brutal. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And Chuck, I don't know if you remember um, when they were getting ready to to take that guy's. I don't know if it was his permit away uh, for having the Durwood camp down there. What was his name? There was, uh, when I first went down in '77, Dur- Durwood is about halfway down the, the forks of the current stretch, again deep in the canyon. And back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, until World War II came along. It was uh, it, it was a destination for a pack trip. You would pack in. Uh, the The roads did not penetrate into the forest where where they do now. You would pack in for you know one or two days just to get there, and then here here was um, the the camp 
the camp lady was cooking, and you'd fish for how many days, and then you would... Anyway, it had fallen into disrepair. When I went down in 77, um, my topographic map showed there was a black dot, and there was some, some sort of a structure there. Um, and but it, but it was all broken apart. The roofs were caved. There are several buildings. The roofs were caved in. The, the glass was all gone out of the out of the windows. And I thought, gosh, this must have been some great place at one time. You know what what I, what was it? It was the same condition when I went down the following year in '78. And then there was a three-year hiatus where we were too busy on the lower Kern, and I did not get back to the Forks until '81. Un unbeknownst to me, Ed Alexander, we called him Old Ed, and and had sort of the, the status of the hermit of the Kern. He had <laughs> moved in with a tungsten mining claim. This was all on the forest, but he had filed a claim for tungsten, whether that was valid or not, the, the claim was. But there probably wasn't enough there to justify. But he liked being there. He would ride his horse in and then had a trolley cable car to come across the river. And so we came down in 81 expecting to see, the, the unaware of Ed, expecting to see the same dilapidated old buildings, tied up our boats and, and hopped up on, on what was then a lawn, green grass, and a rainbird sprinkler going tick, 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 tick. He, wow. had, he had daffodils growing, and he had, he had been there for a couple of years and had packed in panes of glass, fixed the roof, uh, had moved in. And Ed was probably there for about 15 years, but he got lonely, and he came across this... Um, Rosie. Yeah, uh, in <coughs> in the Philippines, you can you know pick pick a bride, and and he did. Uh, she was uh, happy to be over here, and it took her about maybe four, maybe six months to learn English, and she learned words like shopping and mall. <laughs> <coughs> so Ed had to keep going out down to Bakersfield, 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 and eventually he moved out. And I, th I think another young, who, what was the young fellow's name that took over the tungsten claim? The Kirby. Uh, Kirby. That, that's right, yeah. He, he kind of took over the, the tungsten claim for a while. Uh, but it, but it's, it, it has kind of fallen <coughs> in into disrepair. Was, was that the question you asked me, Guy? Well, you know, um, I, yeah, I mean, one of the things was, I mean, when I, when I first went there, um, it was beautiful. Like there was a bar in there. There was a beautiful bar room. Or was it a bar room or a bar? It was like a main was... room with a bar and a kitchen and a yeah. big fireplace. Yeah, it yeah. was bitching. There was a picture of Luth over the fire painted by his dad, I believe. Yes, I looked like a blonde Spock, as I recall. <laughs> um, I, I mean, looked like a Vulcan for some reason, but yes, there was there. That was there. Well, I mean, it was just, I mean, I, I, I remember he had like a, something coming off Durwood Creek. It was like a, there was an aqueduct. Aqueduct coming off of there. Total irrigated yeah. everything. He had irises. And yeah. Just, was, we, the, we have one of the irises actually from there, kayaked down from one of our kayakers, uh -huh. um, where we meet guests for trips, which yeah. is pretty cool. I make sure that's watered because we don't want to lose that one. So, I mean, that, that was pretty, pretty amazing to be able to, you know, kayak or raft to that spot and, you know, be greeted by, I heard the guy was really cool too. You know. I can tell you stories about him as well. Yeah, yeah. I was one of the first person, not that I'm going to go into it, yeah. that actually rafted Ed and Rosie down the forks of the current. And Ed was an old man then. I mean, okay. He was 85, something like that. Rosie was somewhat 
younger. Uh-huh. Um, but what we used to do was we would hike in via the pack animals and raft down gasoline for his generators and other things that would help sustain him. And then one year he said, you know, I, I'd love to see this stretch of river that you guys keep going on. And uh, that's probably a story for another podcast, but it's an amazing story yeah. because um, they were in my boat and you didn't want to injure a legend. Sure. Uh, not that you want to injure anybody. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, it's just a, a great story. But so much history up there, it's incredible. So when I guess the Forest Service was saying, hey, we're going to, or something, the claim had ended, Chuck, or something, and um, you had come to me and said, you need to get that place. And I was like, I don't know if you remember that, but he, he you actually came up to me and, and said that. And I, at the time, I was like, oh, I, you know, I didn't really know what it was and how amazing it was. And I would, oh, my God, I would die to have that place now. <laughs> In retrospect, up. boy, what a move yeah. that would have been. Oh, my God. What a, what a place. Um, yeah, so anyways, that I just wanted to touch on that and how, how amazing that place was, um, the Deerwood Camp, for sure. I've been back a few times just fishing and hiking in that area, and the fishing, of course, mm-hmm. is world-class there. Um, I want to touch on a couple of things that you guys might be able to help me with, and that is um, how do these rapids get named? And, and were you responsible, Chuck, for the naming of some of these rapids? And what's funny is rafting guides will start talking oh yeah you were up by you know oscar's nightmare when i saw you or this and that and i have no idea what they're talking about but now i do of course but back in the day i didn't know and so how did how did some of these did you guys name any of these rapids or what i would say is that uh, rapids fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Are named kind of like mountains. Uh-huh. Once they're named, people remember those names. They don't uh-huh. change very, very rarely. Uh-huh. And the other thing I would say is that a lot of the rapids on this river were named by Chuck. And on that, uh, on that point, I'd hand the baton to the old boy to, yeah. to uh, give you some stories on that. When, when, when we started rafting in 70, 75, again, it was me and my, my uh, adult students out of Santa Maria. And then Rick with his, uh, with his various sons. 
We, we knew each other, but we didn't hang out because I'm in Santa Maria. He's over at Ridgecrest. But uh, it, it was common, uh, I, I, and this is on the lower current. I know the first several times we went down, um, I named, okay, this is the, 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 the main rapids, which are now White Maiden's Walkaway. I was calling that number one. That's where the river disappears from view for the first time. The, the the gradient starts dropping, and as you approach it, oh, it's different here. I can't see where it can't see where it is. Where's that? Where's that? that? That's that's White Maiden's Walkaway, about about a mile and a half down below Miracle, and okay. um, we we had heard from, uh, I think a few kayakers, but again, back then, most kayaks were were out of fiberglass, and they just did not commit to the lower current. Um, the second one was uh, number, we called it number two, and uh, that that became Powerful Possum, and Royal Flush was number three. Once we made it through the Royal Flush, we thought, don't need to worry about rapids anymore. We can run anything down here. Uh, but, but eventually, I was naming rapids in place of one, two, and three with names. Rick's boys were naming them also, un unaware of mine, I'm unaware of his. <laughs> And it, several years later, the Forest Service asked us to kind of standardize on names, so we didn't we didn't have have double ones going. Uh, for instance, the Royal Flush. Uh, I think Rick's boys were calling that no chance, uh, and actually, you did have a chance because we occasionally we get through it. Uh, <laughs> power, powerful possum. My my name was Dead Man's. Dead Man's Curve. Curve yeah. yeah. I, I, I like to think that I was a little more erudite in the names. I was a little more scholarly and skilled. And Rick's boys were 15, 14, 16 years old. Um, uh, false Flush, just above the False Flush, my name was known as Preparation H by, by his boys. Oscar, Oscar's Nightmare, I didn't really have a name for that one. That's on the first day of the Lower current. Uh, I believe they, they, they had, had a fellow named Oscar who apparently had a Nightmare. startling experience that they could all laugh over, <laughs> kind of like Guy in the Canoe. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that's, that we had now on the upper current, those are mostly kayak names because while we were focused in the late 70s on the lower current, we would, we would raft on the upper as, as the water started rising from snowmelt in, in April, early May, before the lower kern was turned on for irrigation down in the San Joaquin Valley. So we'd be on the upper kern, but we would normally say, you know, that rapid at Camp 3 or, or such like that. But kayakers, uh, the commitment wasn't, wasn't as great for kayakers on the upper. They were right beside the road, where on the lower kern, once you get in, you normally have to go several miles. And then comparing that to the forks of the kern, once you're on the forks of the kern, you're in the canyon for the full length unless like the trip you all were talking about, for whatever reason you abort it and actually hike out halfway from Durwood, grizzly. Never Studs. heard of that since. Oh, really? <laughs> or before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so Oscar's Nightmare. What's that story? That was, again, that was one of, one of Rick's trips, and I don't... I, don't it, it seems like Oscar Whittington, was that... Um, I, I, we're, we're, we, the Lower Kern two-day trip now takes out a Democrat beach. If you go just past Democrat beach, there's the old Democrat hot springs, which yeah. was a little 
resort is kind of a grandiose name, but I think that was put in in the 20s or in the 30s. There's some hot springs down there. And at that time, in, in the mid-70s, late 70s, it was, it was open. It's open again, but it was closed for a number of years, sort of as a private retreat. But they would have bands there on the weekend, and I believe Oscar was, it was his band or whatever, oh, okay. and Rick was taking out at uh, Democrat uh, Hot Springs, the little resort, and I imagine they said, hey, like I mentioned you, want to go for a canoe ride? <laughs> 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 awesome. So, yeah, so that's probably how that got its name. But, but it was kayakers primarily that named Rapids on the Upper Kern uh, because they would play there for May, June, July until the water ran out. And most of the Rapids on the Forks became, uh, had, had kayaking names also uh, because they were up there more. Uh, I was pretty much committed down to the Lower Kern. Okay. So I got to tell you guys, you know, you guys have probably heard this before, but, um, you know, I, 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 I row people down and fish, you know, um, and, uh, I have a little, uh, outcast boat, um, that's made by air, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, one, one day I had this lady and I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but I had this lady and I put her in my boat and, um, she's also guy, is this, we're going to go down the river, and does it come out, like, right here where we started? <laughs> Have you guys heard that one before? Oh, never. <laughs> Every year. Yeah. Do you really? I mean, that's just crazy. Anyways, do you guys have any, like, um, funny stories like that that you guys can, can tell or you remember or um, great experiences or people or anything that you guys can remember back in the day? I'm sure you guys do. I used to have fun on the phone when uh, – <laughs> and, and, and Luth brings this up every once in a while. Back in the 70s when I was answering more of my phone calls before I was on the water every day, I would, I would frequently have, rafting was new. Uh, Sunset had, had the Kern, on the Kern rafting on the cover in 1980, and the popularity just exploded. Oh, nice. the, the, the main story of the Sunset magazine, I think that was April of 80, was where to go rafting in California, and it had had the whole map of California with all these little rivers highlighted up around <clears> Sacramento, <throat> and then this big void, and boom, here was the Kern, and the phones just lit up for days on end with everybody in Southern California wanting to come here. But okay. I would frequently, I'd frequently get a question like, uh, Mr. Richards, uh, do you have special prices for children? <laughs> and my response always was, No, ma'am. But if I did, it would not be less. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which which echoes the the fly fish trip you all did with the thirteen and a four. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what about you, Chris? You got to think of anything back in the day, or? Well, you know, it, it, one of the great things about whitewater rafting is it's all about memories. I mean, yeah. that's essentially what you're doing is just yeah. making special moments with people. So it's a great thing. But you get everything. The uh, the the question you were talking about, we get that all the time, and I even had a lady once, and this is why you don't shine people on as much. You know, oh, well, you know, does, so we start here, and we, do we get off at the end? And I said, yes, you know. The, the Kern River is the only river in the world that runs in a circle. It's shining her on. And she looks at me dead in the eye, and she goes, oh, yeah. I remember reading an article about that in National Geographic. <laughs> and I shut up about it the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Luth? Anything? Well, you know, I've heard all those stories over the years. Yeah. The, uh, um, are we going to end up where we started, which eventually you are. 
but yeah. not in a circular fashion. Yeah. Um, and how deep is the river is another great one. Yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the bottom line is, and the, really the, the way that I feel about it, is all the people who come up here and do this kind of stuff are folks that are trying to get outside and uh, enjoy the outdoors and Mother Nature. And uh, it's just outstanding that they've made the effort to get here in the first place. <clears throat> I'm sure you feel the same way about fly fishing. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, uh, the you know, rock climbing, hiking, just getting out is so key that uh, there's a lot of funny stories, but uh, uh, but in the end, I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for and have a lot of respect for everyone that's made the effort to put down their phone, get away from the television, just get away from everything and get out and move in the outdoors. Absolutely. So, and that's kind of what we do. So a lot of funny stories. I've seen people that were afraid of butterflies, you know, like, ah, well, it's going to land on yeah. me. I'm like, no, oh, this is a great thing. Yeah. Um, but so uh, millions of stuff like that, but uh, uh, but in the end, uh, I just smiled at myself and realized that uh, we're doing such a great thing. We love what we do, and uh, um, it's it's an environment and experience that you you can't replicate. Yeah. So um, you guys, of course, know Starter, and, and Starter uh, worked with me for uh, many years doing the cooking on on my four by four fly fishing trips. I had dinner with him last night. Yeah. And so um, he turned me on to the pig bear. <laughs> so I have a blast with the pig bear um, for many years. Um, I had I had a group of, uh, of folks that uh, had never experienced the the wilderness ever. And you know the tents that I provide on my trips are ten by ten by oh, seven wow. feet tall, right? Wow! And they have a cot in there and a pad. It's just really comfortable. And uh, these six guys came up from Beverly Hills. They were, you know, um, well-to-do uh, folks, and uh, they had never experienced the wilderness. And um, they were so scared at night that they put three of those cots in one tent, you know, and three in another tent, and they slept with the light on. <laughs> so, you know, of course, around the campfire, I'm like, hey, you guys ever heard of a pig bear? You know, and, and so, you know, I would dress in black course you know and and i would do this the big can with and make the sound and have a blast but the cool thing is is like what was interesting about that trip is these guys had never experienced the outdoors before and so it was like i was like this ambassador on another planet and so i'd be walking down the trail you know and they'd be like guy 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 don't get so far ahead of me don't get so far ahead of us and i'd be i'm right here you guys i'm right here and it was just really fun just to experience that aspect of, you know, uh, almost like being on another planet. And these guys had never been to this planet before. And here we are, you know, in the forest. And it was just cool, man. One of my favorite things has always been, you know, we get a lot of clients that come up from L.A. And yeah. it's the big city and it's marine layer. And they don't see the stars. And having them oh, down yeah. at Lower Kern Camp, you know, we're kind of high desert. The sky is beautiful at night, and people, they just trip out on Epic. the majesty of the sky without light pollution. Because it's something yeah. that, you know, few people see anymore. Mm-hmm. They're either coastal, they're in a town, there's street lights, there's things going on. But to just, like, sit deep in the outdoors and look into the sky, is it's an amazing human experience. Yeah. You know, uh, just, you know, being in the outdoors for me, too, is I've met some of my best friends uh, through the outdoors and fly fishing. Um, met some other significant others, possibly, through that, you know, as well. And if you guys have through that as well. But, um, you know, it's just, it, it's it's an amazing uh, thing to be able to do what we do. That's for sure. 
Um, have you guys ever just kind of go to right now? Have you guys ever seen the river this low this time of year? <laughs> 2015, 2014. It <laughs> was it this low? Was it this low that lower? Day? Was it? Yes. Oh my Significantly. God. So I, I was up in the high country uh-huh. a couple of days ago. I've never seen the creeks like that low. Like it was really Were you bad. up there in 2015? Yeah. I, I, I don't think I remember it being that low though. Well, the April 1st reading was 24% for the current river drainage. Mm-hmm. And I think in 2015 it was like 14 or maybe 15%. Oh, was it? And the, you know, Isabella Reservoir was, was much lower, too. So this year, from our standpoint, we're, we're okay. We always want more water, but it's very interesting from your perspective of being up there and looking at the creeks up there at this time of the year mm-hmm. and comparing it. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, it was, it's bad up there right it, now, for sure. It's dry, for sure. Yeah. You know what really amazes me, guys, is the trout that recovered after 2015. When yes. I remember you telling me that these creeks were bone dry. Yes. And the next year there's trout in them again? Yeah. How, I mean, does, how that, does that happen? How does that work? I don't get it. They bury themselves in the mud. I was hoping <laughs> you were going to tell me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's weird. I mean, it's either upstream and they get washed down or something. Yeah. Or I don't know. But like Fish Creek, for instance, was like complete. We're talking fish stuff, Chuck. Sorry to. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, so, uh, yeah, like uh, Fish Creek, you know, up in the plateau there was like bone dry, like completely dry. And then the next year, there are just hundreds of golden trout, you know. Unbelievable. Yeah. That surprised me. And I remember hearing that from you. Yeah. And uh, Mother Nature is, if nothing, amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So um, my, my other thing that I love to do on this podcast is talk about music. So um, what... What I've been listening to, um, and you know, I've, I've been mis- listening to a lot of this jazz piano player. Many people don't know who he is. His name's Ahmad Jamal, and I've been listening to this album called Rossiter Road, which is awesome. What about you guys? If you guys have been listening to anything, whether it's like you know the the uh, Kern Valley radio station or whatever it is, have you guys <clears throat> listened to anything lately? Or? Well, I can tell you that um, I recently purchased, based on a Facebook video that I saw. Uh-huh. A uh, tribute concert for Keith Emerson, who passed away a few years ago, uh-huh. and they actually um, made this incredible uh, album for him, um, and they found a company in the UK that was able to uh, put everything together, including new artwork, and um, distribute it and donate all the proceeds to the ailment that had plagued him, which is a some kind of nerve ailment in one of his, in his fingers. Now, a person that talented could have just written music. And it was such a bummer because he was always my, he was always my, um, my idol mm-hmm. uh, to a certain degree. Um, but uh, that's, uh, that's my most recent yeah. listen to album. Have you been playing much on the piano? Well, I haven't played as much as I should. Yeah. But I think when we're done, we're going to hit that piano I, that you have here. We're going to play a little duet, a little blues. I would, lo- I would love that. That would be amazing. As would I. You know, um, we've been talking about playing together for many years and we need to we need to do that well i think the key in life is to stop talking about stuff (laughs) (laughs) that's become painfully apparent by the way i i don't know if you guys uh, know this or i've told you before but i'm going to throw a rager here when everything's clear right here i'm going to put a stage right here outstanding yeah and we'll have bands and party and and that sort of thing Anyway, Chuck, have you been listening to any music? Or? I, do, I do a lot of whistling. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. That's a good instrument, man. 
Yeah. What about you, Chris? Anything? Well, there's an incredible band called the Stoneflies. Oh, I've here we go. Right. You, have you haven't thrown that CD out the window yet? <laughs> awesome. What uh, what boats do you guys use when you're on the river? That's what I, I forgot to ask that question. Is it is it like a, a NRS or you guys have a certain boat that you guys like to use? Well, it uh, it varies wildly depending on what the flow is, where uh-huh. you're at, uh-huh. what you're trying to do. Uh-huh. I mean, there's different boats that are good for different stuff. This year, uh, our standard we, we we've gone to kind of an air fleet, which okay. are their uh, their super pumas, their super duper pumas, uh-huh. um, which are perfect for low water they're uh plastic boats so they slide a little bit better they're a little bit lighter they're really high performance they're good for fitting in uh to stuff we do now if you're looking at high flows a hypalon's hard to beat a big beefy boat when the water's huge is definitely has its benefits you don't want to be in a little light boat when the water's thumping out there this year there's not gonna be so much water thumping so light and nimble is a little better. Yeah, and in the warehouse, you all probably have, what, 60, 80, 80, 80 boats to pick from. Rafts, <laughs> rafts of all sizes. Uh, yeah. Spy shacks, inflatable canoes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it all depends on, you know, exactly what's happening out there and, you know, whatever the flow is, we, we have the right boat. I use uh, I use an airboat, too. It's called the Outcast mm-hmm. uh, Pack 1200. That's the one. I, I've used it for 20 years now. It's a workhorse, you know. You know, my little yeah that I have. Um, that's a good rig. It's insane. I had, um, uh, Paul Fuller row me down, um, on the lower fly fishing for uh, smallmouth bass. Oh my gosh. How was that? It was incredible. Oh my God. Have you done that? Uh, no, but that's because you were fishing guy. I, well, it was the first time I've ever been like rowed. Yeah. It was well, awesome. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, it's so wonderful. I actually, think I floated by you that day. And you you just did. Had this, this grin from just ear to pretty, ear. Oh, a- Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, one other question, you know, you guys, I want to ask you before um, we, we wrap this up is um, what's the biggest water that you guys have ever gone down and experienced um, where it was just like, why, why are we doing this kind of a situation? Um, I know personally that <clears throat> when, the, when the river gets really big, it's just like flat, right? And you're not hitting any rocks. But when the water gets a certain level, I'm not sure if it's 3,000 or... 5,000 CFS, yeah. I mean, what's a, what's kind of like the scariest time that you guys, where you get nervous and you got butterflies and you got all that going on? Well, I would say in general, 2017, which was a huge snowpack mm-hmm. on top of the dam, which was being repaired and had a limited storage capacity, oh, uh, yeah. set new marks for what we did. We, we boated consistently on the lower current higher than has ever been boated before and frankly probably higher than it's ever been boated again because eventually next year hopefully the dam is done and they're gonna have more capacity and that's gonna limit the peaks on the lower because they're gonna have more time to spread it out i remember Um, that that was crazy it was nuts we we had uh, you know we have world-class guides and i was so impressed with what we were able to do out there so 2017 was a high water mark uh chuck could speak to 1983 which was huge, which was a few years before Luth came and uh, was my rookie year at five years old, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a big one, Chuck? What, what, what was the level? In, in 83, uh, that followed, followed, understandably, 1982, which was a double normal snowpack. 83 was a triple normal snow. It just did not quit snowing. 
Really? Which, which then converts to water when it gets to be warm days in April and May and June. And there was, there was the concern that the lake was going to fill and overflow. The Corps of Engineers uh, ran the lake at that time. Uh, and, and all the land around the lake, all the campgrounds. Now it's Forest Service. But but as the lake was going boop, 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 right, rising up, we were running levels below it with kind of a, looking askance over our shoulders in, in the rafts because we were running like 4,000, uh, 4,500. We never, this was back in 83. It's and deep water. And uh, the, the Corps of Engineers kept assuring the populace that, the lake will not will the lake will not overflow, <laughs> and then several days later, the lake will not overflow. <laughs> and then it was, look out, it's overflowing. <laughs> the the lake was brim full. Matter of fact, it was so full it got seven foot deep in the spillway coming over the lake. Wow. You could stand on the bridge. The the bridge is for you. Uh, between that and main dam camp, you would almost you, you would you would be entirely wet standing on the bridge, and need to hang on the railing to not get blown off with the volume of, of water that was coming not out the bottom of the dam but over the spillway, and it was it it was seventy two hundred that was what it was sustained at, for three or four weeks and of course this was early in the early in the decades of rafting. We'd never seen that in all non-self-failing boats too. Yeah, all all of, all of the outfitters pulled off of the lower kern. Uh, one week went by, two weeks went by, and the guides would go down and say, "You know, we can we can do this. The rocks we normally line up with, they are gone. They're gone, you know, uh, many feet below the surface of the water." And and we began doing trip because we were turning people away. Well, put us on the water, uh, and. So we, we went back in. Uh, I, I had, let's see, my guides that year were, were, they'd been with me since 80 and 81 and 82. They were just very tough and hard. And I think we were the first ones to go back on. Uh, and we, we had no pure paddle boats. Now there's paddles and there's oars. Vikings use oars. People mistakenly call paddles oars. Indians use paddles. Vikings have oars. An oar, <laughs> a, an oar, an oar boat is more precise because mm-hmm. the guide's brain is pretty much controlling the whole boat uh-huh. rather than trying to coordinate frantic people sitting in front of you <laughs> who aren't paying attention when you need them to. Do you have special prices for children? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when that uh, lake filled up, how high did it come into Kernville? Did it go into the golf course area? Like, do you remember? Like, it, was it, oh. the, the, the bottom of the golf course, uh, cl- closer to the lake, the water was backing up. As, as, as the lake would get deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. uh, and, and, and higher, it would back up towards Kernville. And, yeah. and about maybe the last quarter of the golf course was, um, was submerged. Wow. Second hole. Second hole. Back in the days when I played that course, when it was there. Yeah. And then whatever hole was adjacent to him and a little further back. But yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. So um, over the years, Chuck, <clears throat> Kernville, what have you, what have you seen change 
if anything. Look, this was not all my fault. Got it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you seen, like, like when you first started here in the 70s, I mean, some people tell me, oh, Kernville hasn't changed, you know, and, and just since I've been here, um, I've seen change, you know, uh, small change, but a lot of, a lot of stuff is still the same. But I mean, Chuck, going back in from, you know, the seventies until now, what, what have you seen that the, the, the primary back then when we came, understandably, the primary outdoor stuff here was camping, was, was mm -hmm. fishing mm -hmm. and, you know, just bringing your family up. And, and when we first, <laughs> I remember one of the one of the stores down in Isabella. We would we, me and hop in to get supplies to go on the river, and I remember I remember a lady pulling her young children away. They maybe ten, twelve years old. Stay away from them. They're crazy. They're gonna die. Uh, and uh, an old geezer. Of course, to me at that time, I was in my early thirties. An old geezer might have hit like forty or nine. I've, I've since had. Oh, we're all old, we're all old geezers. Yeah, re, re, reassess my age stuff. But I remember one old fellow said, "Well, son, you you couldn't pay me to go on that river." And I said, "But see, that's not the way I do my business. I don't pay you to go with me." <laughs> but 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 since, nowadays, Kern, Kernville and and the river attracts more. Young frisky folks, where <laughs> that just wasn't it. Yeah. Now they're coming up here to, to paddle, to rafts, kayaks, uh, to fish with you all, to climb. Yeah. Uh, like like fly fishing just wasn't wasn't a sport back fifty yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Up, up here. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yep. I kind of felt like I, you know, when I when I first came up here, I don't know if I've told you guys this story. Um, Chuck was very welcoming, but. Um, you know, I was kind of like, you know, this kind of outcast, you know, coming in, you know, what's this guy doing, you know, with the fly fishing business and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we, we all talk about like just going for it and stuff. And I, I just, I just didn't listen to anybody and just kind of went for it, you know, kind of what you did, Chuck, you know, and just kind of went for it and started the biz and, and, you know, went for it. And, and let's talk about your guys's business. I mean, uh, whitewater voyages, um, you know, that's a, that's a big step, you know, buying a big uh, business and, you know, um, employees. And well, Guy, what I would say is that yeah. your whole um, description of just going for it, damn the torpedoes type thing, is really one of the key things to any inception of any success. With Chris and I, was relatively easy in that we both knew exactly what we were doing. Right. And um, oh, it, it, it was one of those situations where if we purchased the business and these businesses do not come for sale very often, we could immediately just kind of hit, hit the ground running and uh, continue to do high-quality trips. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in, uh, what was it, 2014? Is that um, when you guys got it? Yeah. That was our first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, you know, Bill McGinnis, who had owned the company for many years, did a tremendous job and just did a, I can't say enough about him and the group of folks that were working for him. He finally decided, listen, I want to sail and I want to write books. And, cool. and, and Chris and I, probably more Chris than I, said, here's the opportunity I've been waiting for my whole life. Boom. I just remember him wandering around with a clipboard. I don't know why that is in vision in my head. Yes, uh -huh. he had a clipboard. And he's That's writing awesome. notes. And, and before I knew it, we kind of worked something out. And um, 
and uh, purchased the business and uh, kind of basically took the baton essentially and continued down the road because it was already such a great thing. Um, you know, our responsibility was to just maintain that uh, level of customer service and excellence and all that stuff. And it was pretty easy for us. Um, but, uh, but you still had to have that go for it attitude, right? Know, kind of the damn the torpedoes thing. Cause what could happen? We could have a low water, you have a high water year, you have enough people, you know, you have the, all of these things that a lot of people don't think about come into play. And, um, if you are paralyzed by that, um, you'll never make anything happen. So, um, the other, the other thing too, is like, uh, adaption, you know, like, I know that I know when you guys had with that first year, right? The low water year, two years. Well, yeah, the two second years in a row. year was the most heinous year in thirty some odd That's years right. of ever being here. Two thousand fifteen, right. brutal. And so you guys uh, adapted and did some other things, right? What did you guys do? Well, you have to have smaller boats, and yeah. you have to not pay yourselves, and, you have to, and you're basically running Just a machine survive. that that is yeah. is still going. Yeah. And then the amazing thing, the, the most amazing thing from that year of super low water, mm-hmm. of anything, I and mean, Chris and I were worried about keeping our employees motivated and happy and, and all this stuff, was uh, I think that our, our theme was that, you know what, you come up here and go boating with us, it's not going to be big water, but it's bound to be a better day than you would have, certainly in your office down in the Bay or the, uh, the LA area, or the Bay Area for that matter. Um, and, but people were stoked. Yeah. They were so stoked to get out and go boating. Um, that was an eye-opener for me, a huge eye-opener for me. And I really felt like, and I felt like this ever since, frankly, I felt like it before, that we're almost doing a service to humanity by offering these things that people can do that you can't do anywhere else. The bottom line is, get away, go to places that are still pristine, whether you're fly fishing, whether you're whitewater rafting, and hopefully these industries, I can't see them doing anything more than prospering and, and, and growing and have a wonderful experience and just rejuvenate, you know. Um, the whole concept of a recreate for me, you know, the base concept of that word is recreate. And that's what we do. So, um, you know, over the over this year, um, you know, this last year with, uh, with COVID and whatnot, um, did you guys... Would you guys do okay? Like, was it okay for that that period? Were you guys hanging in there? This was, uh, I mean, and for everyone globally, yeah. really, it was the yeah. strangest year ever. Mm-hmm. And we, pretty much, when things shut down in March, we systematically nuked our season going forward. And it was really interesting how it happened because uh, when the when it first happened. We were actually down with you at the Fred Hall show down in yeah. Long Beach. And the first day we got there, Long Beach oh, de- right. declared a state of emergency. And we kind of looked at each other and, okay, well, we're going <laughs> to the Long Beach Convention Center in this giant city. Thousands of strangers are going to pour by us every day. Okay. Right. So, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks and it's the two weeks to slow the curve. And I remember at that time I was talking to Luth and Luth and I have a really good business relationship. I mean, it's rarely you meet your business partner when you're nine years old. Uh, but I did, and we, you know, we balanced each other very well. So he had kind of a long view on this, and I was like, well, you know, we're shut down for two weeks, but you know, let's, let's start booking trips at April April fifteenth. That's a good day. We'll pick April fifteenth. It's going to be a weekend. That's a good day. That gives us like a month of things shut down. I mean, it can't be shut down more than a month. About the first week of April. Okay, let's reassess. 
All right, at that time, I'm like, well, you know, Memorial Day. Memorial Day is the day. That's, you know, things can't be shut down past Memorial Day. There's right. no way they can be shut down past Memorial Day. We get a little bit closer, and at this whole time, Luth is just like, well, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. We get probably late April at that point. It's obvious that we're not opening Memorial Day, and that's when I was first like, hmm, I wonder if we're going to have a season this year. Mm-hmm. But eventually we opened up by, by the, I think the 19th of June was the first day that we ran a trip last year. Uh, at that point, the Upper Kern was done for the year. It was, you know, a low to moderate snowpack year, but the Upper Kern was done. And then we went on the Lower Kern and we ran uh, the second day, which is class four and awesome, for about a month. We ran the first day, which is class two and a beautiful float for about two months and a week or two. And uh, in that time, we completely limited our trips. We, you know, changed the way we do things. But everything we had sold out the rest of the year because people are just desperate to get outside. Right. And yeah. it's, it's like what Luther was talking about, like what you're talking about, is that there, there's magic on the river out there. There's magic in the outdoors, and people need it now more than ever. So I got stats, and you guys tell me if this is true. So usually... Um, we have uh, 1 million visitors. So, suppose, or, or, you know, prior years we've had 1 million visitors. Last year we had 3 million. Have you guys heard that stat? I have, no, I have not heard that statistic, but it doesn't surprise me one bit. I got that from uh, the Ranger. I, yeah, I haven't um, heard that either, but yeah. I know I saw drone footage of, of parking lots <laughs> yes. yeah, that were so camped up, yeah. like you, you literally couldn't move tent to tent without, I don't know how yeah. the cars got in there. Yeah. I don't know how they got out. Yeah, it's cra- it was crazy. Um, the, uh, from what I hear, and, and they were cutting down uh, along the river quarter, there are live trees to burn, and so mm-hmm. the Forest Service has gone up there and replanted native plants and it was just a mess but for for us the uh, fishing world um you know everything was up like nationwide like 75 percent, which is mind-boggling mm-hmm. right so it was it was amazing like we're running out of everything rods waders boots Absolutely. flies everything you can imagine we're running out of you guys having a hard time getting product and stuff too we so each fall we do pre-season orders for the next year to for supplies yeah and we are currently waiting on pre-season orders to arrive that are you know, i'm getting updates like well the boat yeah. is in the harbor <laughs> yeah, right. and they say in two weeks maybe and yeah it's uh it's it is amazing the spike in outdoor recreation and and it's it's been universal from you know all the way through the supply chain yeah I think there's always a silver lining in any kind of crisis type thing. And <clears throat> if the silver lining in this whole COVID thing and whatnot that yeah. we've all been dealing with is folks realizing that let's get out and get unplugged, mm-hmm. move, you know, and do really cool stuff. You know, I, th- I think it's a positive outcome. Yeah. I really do. And, and so many people decided to just drop in and uh, go camping and whatnot. And that's great. And rafting and fishing. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. And, but it's so healthy for everybody. It is. And uh, based on that, I, I consider that to be the silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've never seen it uh, so many people along the, you know, the bridge is the 20-mile the section. I've never seen, like, you know, last year it was unbelievable how many people were there. Chuck, it's so great to have you here, man. So it's so good to see you here and talking to you, man. I'm I'm serious. It's so great. And Luther, 
Um, thank you for being here. Um, Brownie, um, amazing, you guys. Um, I'm super stoked to have you guys here and, and talk with you guys. I'd love to do it again sometime. Um, there's, I'm sure there's lots more stories from Chuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, thank you very much, you guys, for being here. Um, I appreciate it. And um, I appreciate you guys all out there listening to the Kern River Fly Shop podcast. And we will see you guys later. Say bye, you guys. Adios. Aloha. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.